This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 638 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by Amazon.com. Admit it, you shop on Amazon.com. Don't be embarrassed, we all do. Well, the next time you have a hankering to hit up Amazon for some deals, stop by horsetipdaily.com first. Click on the Amazon link on the left side of the home page, and then shop till you drop. Doesn't cost you a penny, and it helps us keep the lights on here at Horse Tip Daily. Hi, Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today, a little something different. As many of our listeners are aware, we recently completed a fencing project at the distractingly beautiful new Ocala, Florida Command Center for the Horse Radio Network, and we couldn't have done it without the help from the fine folks over at Field Guardian Fencing Systems. Today, we're going to cover everything you ever wanted to know and more about chargers and electricity. So here we go. Glenn the Geek back with you with Coach Jen in our third part of the series on fencing. Hi, everybody. And if you missed the first two parts, please do listen back to the show. And uh, uh, best place to go for that would probably be Horse Tip Daily, and you'll find the last couple yeah. of episodes. We're running them right in a row. Go, go to my show. Yeah, yeah horsetipdaily.com. You'll find other previous episodes. It's easier to find there than Horses in the Morning. So now I, I need, we're going to, in this segment, we've covered already what types of products. We covered why we chose Field Guardian Fencing Systems at fieldguardian.com for our company. And we have Jason on, who's the owner of the company and has been with us the last couple of segments. Today, Jason, we've co- talked about layout. We've talked about poly rope and poly tape and, and where all those apply, the types of posts. We've gone over all of that in the previous segments. What we haven't talked about is making this fence hot. Obviously, it's a hot wire fence. We need, whether it's tape or rope or wire, it needs to be hot. So let's talk a little bit about chargers. There's multiple different kinds of chargers. There's electric and there's solar and and all that. Can you just go through the options that that people have and what questions they have and what you're you're finding? There's three main different types of chargers. Uh, Basically, they come down to where the energy comes from. We have what we call main chargers that run up 110 volt. You have plug-in-the-wall power. You have a battery energizer that runs off a 12-volt DC battery. Or you have a solar charger that you use a solar panel to recharge a 12-volt battery. Those are three main options that pretty much every charger will fall into. And then depending on the application that they have, we recommend which way to go. Um, Most often, if you can have access to 110-volt plug-in power, Anywhere close within 150 or 200 feet of your fence, we always recommend going with a, an electric plug-in charger. And the reason for that is you get so much larger of a charger for the money that you're buying it for. A solar charger is great for way out, out in the boonies, no access to power anywhere. You kind of have to use solar. But because of technology, solar-powered chargers don't put out as much voltage uh, voltage, as much power as a plug-in model. Um, now, energizers are also rated by joules. Okay. That's an interesting word. Joules is kind of related to how much power, how much oomph pushes the voltage down the fence. Um, the higher the joule rating, 
the higher or stronger the charger is. Um, and so there's one more level of information about joules. You have a stored joule and you have an output joule. And stored joules is how much energy, how many joules are stored in the charger, and how much output joules is how much joules actually get out of the charger onto the onto the fence and onto the wire. And the distinction between that are, are big. Output joule is usually um, more important than the stored joule. I'm looking at your website at the chargers, and I'm, I am seeing right in your titles you put like point zero point one five joule solar energizer. That's correct. And then a 0.25 joules. So the higher the number, the more output. That's correct. The stronger. Okay. And, and pr- price power. reflects that too, by the way. It does. Yeah. As you get higher in joule rating, it takes a lot more technology, you know, bigger parts and pieces inside the charger to, to put that energy out. Uh, think of how joules is how much force is pushing the voltage down the wire. Most chargers put out between 5,000 and 8,000, 9,000 volts. But how hard that voltage is being pushed out determines how far down the wire it'll, down the field it'll go, and how strong it is at the very end of the fence. Yeah, I'm just looking, Jennifer, as an example here. I'm looking at the solar versus the the plug-in, the AC powered, and a half a joule, a half a joule solar charger costs three times the amount of of the same charger in a, an electric. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Solar solar energy has not made it to economical yet. But having had solar chargers at some of our larger farms over the years, um, they are a real advantage because until the solar chargers came along, um, you had two choices. Either you couldn't use hot wire in that location because it was three-quarters of a mile away from any power, or you had to use a battery, and the battery went dead at all the wrong times. Um, So those solar chargers can be a real significant um, help for people who have more remote locations or non-dependable power sources. Um, question for you, Jason. Early on when solar chargers first came out, and I don't know what you call it, but they had a tendency with the solar chargers, regardless of which one you bought, that they were easily what I would call grounded out. In other words, a little tiny tree branch fell on it or it got too close to a metal post and it would, it would no longer shock the animal when it touched it. Has the solar charger technology advanced enough now that they have similar properties to a plug-in charger in that respect? Um, you're close to your question premise, but the presumption is that the charger itself is the difference it's actually how much power goes out from the charger. Glenn uh-huh. mentioned that it's a, a much lower joule rating for the charge for the solar power. That means there's less oomph behind the voltage going down the fence. Uh-huh. That's comparable to a plug-in one. So that same stick or limb or whatever falls on the fence, it has less power to push through it, and it grounds out the fence a lot quicker. Uh-huh. So, so the, the higher joule rating is just harder to find on a solar unit than it is in a plug-in unit. That's correct. Got it. See, I'm learning a whole bunch about this whole charger thing. Well, now, now I, I do also notice that uh, your the chargers, not just yours, but chargers in general, are also rated. They also talk about the number of miles of fencing you can charge with it. So. I assume that that has to do with the power output as well and that the solar chargers are not going to do as many miles of fencing as the electric chargers. That's correct. That's exactly right. And kind of our rule of thumb, this is going to sound kind of bad, but most electric fence manufacturers of chargers 
overrate how many miles or how many acres no. they do. They fib a little? And so typically what we do is we say whatever they say it does, cut it in half, and that's probably about what it will do. Well, that's true of cars and anything else you buy, too. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, our Jeep has never gotten, gotten the 27 miles that a gallon. Said, no. <laughs> no, that's never happened. So, all right, so that's good to know. Now, so, so as far as the charger, you really need to determine, are you near, if you're not anywhere near a, a, a plug-in power source, then the solar charger is the way to go. It's going to, it's going to do the job for you. Now, the other thing that's a factor with the solar chargers that we had a problem with is we have no sunshine because of all the trees. That could be a problem. And we knew that this wasn't going to get sunshine, but one or two hours a day, maybe, depending on where we put it. So what, what, how many hours of sunshine a day are you looking at to, for a solar charger to be effective? Uh, you like to have between five and seven hours a day if you can. Uh, not always possible, but the more the better, of course. Um, but direct sunlight for at least five hours should be enough to, to keep the battery charged sufficiently um, for your fence. Now, this might sound like a stupid question. It tells you how little I understand about electricity. If the fence is challenged often, lots of little tiny limbs falling on it, uh, Spanish moss, horses touching it, etc., does that run the battery out faster than if a fence, nothing ever touches it? Uh, yes, it will. Oh, yay! <laughs> so that was a wild guess. Fence, the cleaner your fence is, the, the better everything will perform. Well, there you go. All right, cool. Now, the one other big thing, and I have to confess, my name is Glenn, and I have to confess that when we had electric chargers in the past, we weren't so good about the whole grounding thing, and there have been times in the past when that grounding wire from the charger to the ground was tied to a nail we pushed in the ground. I confess. (laughs) I'm one of those. (laughs) So how important is the whole grounding thing? The grounding is probably the most important part of an electric fence, no matter whose fence you're putting up. No matter if it's a wire fence or a tape fence or a rope fence, having good grounding is critical to making the whole thing work. Um, The electric fence basically is a big circuit, and the main part of the fence that you don't see is the ground coming from the ground side of the charger into the ground itself. So how a fence works, we should start off with saying that when an animal touches the fence with their nose, the circuit is closed goes through the animal and into the ground. And on the ground side of the picture, the current flows through the ground, hits the, the grounding rods inside the ground, and then up to the charger to complete the circuit. And when that happens, the animal receives their shock. Um, having good, adequate grounding is the most important thing you can have right to make your fence work correctly. And what, like in our case, Jennifer, we were, we were shocked. It was, you sent us these three six-foot grounding rods, and you had this diagram in there about the grounding rods had to be so far from the charger and they had to be all 10 feet apart and, you know, all of these rules about the grounding rods, didn't too. didn't know all that stuff. We didn't know all of that, yeah. Well, our nail in the ground. He just didn't send us three nails. <laughs> <laughs> well, and previously, um, in previous lifetimes, 20-some-odd years ago when we were installing fence, um, the charger did not come with a diagram. No. This this was perfect because it came with a diagram. It told you exactly how to do it to get the best performance from your charger because the charger is the most expensive part of the fence. You want to get performance out of it. And if I'm correct, if you do not ground it properly, you can damage your charger too, can't you? Uh, you can. If you cross wires, don't have it ground properly, it won't perform very well. And 
you'd be really surprised at some of the situations people call up with and <laughs> how they <laughs> incorrectly <laughs> wired. Yeah, like, like nails in the ground. Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty important, and I was very pleased to see with that the charger came with very specific and very clear instructions on how to install it properly and how to make sure it was grounded because you guys want the customers to get good performance from that piece of machinery. That's correct. So now... We had three grounding rods. Why three grounding rods spread out over a 30-foot, really a 30-foot section of of the ground? Why is that better? Uh, Actually, if you have six or eight grounding rods, it'd be better even than three. Uh, Three is a good good number to start off with. And depending on your your situation, if you're in really dry or sandy soil, having more grounding is is better than, uh, than not. For those who are in damp or moist or really rich soil, they can go. They can actually get away with fewer grounding rods because the soil transmits the ground better than sandy soil does. Um, so the more ground you have, the better off it will be. Some places actually have large, large paddocks. Uh, they install grounding rods along the perimeter of the fence as well at different locations further, further away than the charger. And How are they, they hooked is, back to the charger then? They run uh, ground wire close to the, the bottom strand of the fence. Oh, so they okay. get just a single, it may not be a tape rope, a tape or rope, it may be just a single wire run all the way around. Like an insulated wire or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And when they get out there, they, they cut the insulation, tie into it, and connect their three more rods that may be 3,000 feet away. Um, and some people actually will alternate the strands of their fence. The top strand will be hot, uh, hot. The next one down will be a ground. The next one down will be hot again. So if an animal touches two of them, they get shocked right there. And regardless of how the grounding conditions of the soil are, the animal still gets shocked very, very well right there at the fence. Well, our horse did, after the first day, decide to try the fence out. And uh, we, he backed up really fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Rain, he, he could have been a reining horse when yeah, he did that. He yeah. Was pretty, yeah, he, the ground apparently worked because... Uh, he hasn't gone near it since. <laughs> so. That was good. Congratulations on that. Yeah. You know, we used to with, I don't know if you were supposed to, if I should even say this, but when we had the electric fence, the wire 25 years ago, what you were taught to do was actually take the horse out, walk him around the perimeter so he could, could see the, because you couldn't see the wire, and then back him into it. So he actually got shocked by it. You forced him to get shocked by it. And, of course, it doesn't hurt. I mean, you can grab this. You won't die. You're going to know you grabbed it. But, that's right. Um, you, and that's how we used to do it. Now, with this tape fencing and with the poly rope, you probably don't need to do that anymore because you have the visual barrier that we didn't have 25 years ago. That's correct. You can use visual, but the same old tried and true of touching the nose to it once or twice, it'll give the same lesson today as it did 25 years ago. <laughs> And they're curious. They want to sniff it. And he, he actually only touched his whiskers onto it, and it got the job done. Yeah, yeah but he probably won't challenge your defense again for quite some time. Yeah, and yeah. because we have the um, strands at the, the proper height, he reached right out and tried to touch his nose on that top strand because it was at the correct height. And part of your layout is recommending the right height for the type of animal you have, whether you have sheep or goats or horses or cows. And we got the heights right, so it's been very effective that way. And that's why you don't really need too many strands of fence because your horse is not going to get down and try to crawl under the bottom strand most often. Uh, so you don't need to have too many too low to the ground. And also, having strands too low to the ground, if you don't cut the grass very well, yeah. the grass that touches the wire will actually 
ground it out. Little short circuits throughout the whole thing. Yeah, we've all had that problem too. Anybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you're weed whacking and you cut the wire in half. I've done that That's two thousand times too, and then it gets all wrapped around the weed whacker and it's a mess. Glenn's not allowed to weed whack anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell we've lived all of these things. He, he's, he causes more destruction than it's worth. He's, you know, sorry, hire somebody. Well, there was that. one other thing we wanted to talk about in this segment, and in the next segment, we're gonna we're actually gonna have a little fun, and we're gonna talk about the things people have done and the wacky stories and all of that too. But in this section, uh, w- one of the last things is the T posts have always been a concern of mine, and the concern has been the tops. When you're pounding T posts into the ground, they get sharp edges on them. It used to be you had to pound them in with a with a sledgehammer. They didn't have the post drivers that they do now, which make it so much easier, and you don't get the splinters and all that. But the tops are still pointy in many cases. You guys have solved that with the caps that you use. We make a T-post cap. That's right. Just slide to the top of the T-post, and you can connect either a tape or a rope product to it if you so choose. Uh, It protects the animal from scraping themselves on those sharp corners that you, you make when you pound in the fence. And I highly recommend if you haven't gone out and spent the 40 bucks to buy a post driver, if you're putting in a lot of T-posts and you're still doing it with a sledgehammer, get the post driver. Go to, go, to home, go to wherever you can find it. I don't know, Tractor Supply, one of the southern states. They have these post drivers, and I think they're only like 40 or 50 bucks. It is worth every penny. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's so yes, it easy is. to do with the post driver. I couldn't believe it. And, and I, I love the caps because that was a significant concern. And years ago, what we used to do is get used tennis balls from the local high school yeah. tennis teams. And we take a saw and cut a slot in the bottom of them and put tennis balls on the tops of the posts. Um, just because it was very common for the horses to, to scratch their they chins cut, on those they posts. They cut their necks and on them. Yeah. And um, so I was thrilled that Field Guardian makes these handy-dandy little squares. And you can use any kind of fence on them. Just pop them on there. There's little slots. And they work beautifully. And a lot of people choose to go to T-Post and those T-Post toppers because it's actually less expensive than buying all wood posts all for the whole entire posts. field. And a lot easier to put in, too. Like that. A lot easier to install, right. yeah. And if you're looking for, like we were, a temporary fencing situations where you might want to pull it out and move it, like if you're cutting a field in half and you might want to take that out or move it, or, you know, cut it a different way, uh, next year you're going to move it around, then you don't want to put wooden posts right. in. And you can, you can segregate horses temporarily, yep. and they also make post pullers as well as post drivers. So you just get a post puller and you yank them right back up out of the ground for next season. Um, very common in many parts of the country nowadays that um, show, show barns are at a facility for three, three months at a time. They can divide up their field that way rather than, okay, they rent a facility for three months and it's got two paddocks and they really need five. Um, they can go to fieldguardian.com, pick out what they need, and put up a semi-permanent fence and take it with them. You only have one investment and you can use it wherever you're at in the country. Well, Jason, this has been great. We're going to come back with the final segment. We're going to have a little fun uh, with the final segment of this fencing series, and we're going to be doing that shortly. This is uh, fieldguardian.com. Thank you so much, Jason, for helping us out with this. Thanks for having me. Well, there you go. To listen to all four parts of this entertainingly informative conversation, stay tuned to Horse Tip Daily. They will be posted consecutively. You can also go to fieldguardian.com to surf or shop. And if there are questions that you have that Glenn and I didn't think of, you can always call those fine folks at 800-967-9735. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. 
It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover on the show. You can subscribe to all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. You can also listen to the shows right on Facebook. The player's right there every day. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.